Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Times Redbox podcast. I'm Luke Jones. I am, oh, I'm about five minutes away from home. I was, I was so thrilled to uh, hand back the programme to Matt Joy, who'll be back this week, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know, um, that I <laughs> left the office without recording the podcast. So, here I am on my phone, on my way home. And um, there's absolutely loads of great stuff on the programme today. Um, we were talking about 2019. If you think uh, today's politics uh, seems a bit angry, a bit fraught, um, cast your mind back two years to the uh, to the general election of 2019. We'll hear from some winners and losers from that on, on what they think that did to our politics um, at the time and also now. So we'll hear from them later on. But first, our fantastic columnists uh, from The Times, Melanie Reid, and from The Daily Mail, John Stevens. Melanie, let's start with you. First of all, this story on the front of the of the Times, which we were talking about with um, uh, Steve Swinford, the political editor of the Times earlier. Um, it looks like all of this business with Downing Street flats and the rest is cutting through to the public. The Conservatives have slumped to their worst poll rating in 11 months. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? I, it, it, it reminds me at the moment of nothing more than the Trump White House. You know, it's a sort of this... Every day there's a fresh chaos, uh, a fresh bit of chaos, a fresh bit of of, of uh, breaking news. Uh, something else has gone wrong. I mean, it's only three days since the, the story from Downing Street about um, the, 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 the Downing Street is involved in rescuing cats and dogs from Afghan. But it feels like six months ago. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's that sense of... Um, we, we, do you realise that Boris Johnson has sucked us all into his chaotic life? <laughs> Just like Trump. I mean, it's, it's actually quite remarkable, I think. Um, Melanie, how does, in terms of the actual scandals themselves, how does this sit with you? I mean, we've got the, the situation with the Downing Street flat above number 11, where Boris Johnson and his wife uh, live, and who paid for that refurb back in the headlines. And also the question about the parties. Um, do those agitate you in and of themselves? Well, me personally, I've, I've always been a great uh, a Johnson sceptic, but I think it's interesting because, as Steve Swinford was saying earlier, I think there is this cut through now because you can't disrespect people. You cannot disrespect the electorate. And that's what's starting to happen, that cut through. And I think that he's fighting now on so many fronts and there's so many 
big, big challenges coming up. You know, the the uh, quite quite aside from North Shropshire, which I think will just be entertainment because 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 they'll get that. But it's the facts like the, the, you know the NHS performance. Um, you know, the six million six million people on the waiting list mm. in January. We imagine twelve hours wait a day and E. This is what you know. The fact that. You can only tell so many lies before people turn around and say, "Come on, come on! You really are, you really are doing it for us now." So it's um, too many unforced errors. I mean, the other thing, like the, you know, he spent at least one hundred and forty thousand pounds on redecorating the Downing Street flat. Do you know that that buys a nice house in many parts of the country? And it, it, it's people, ordinary people, it gets to the point where they really don't like it. They think they're being, they're being, the Mickey is being taken out of them. And in fact, it was well, um, Jeff on text just saying, uh, when did the phrase cut through start to cut through? I seem to hear it a hundred times a day now. <laughs> um, uh, John, on this question of cutting through, I think we've got you back on a better line now. Um, this, this poll on the front of the Times, the Conservatives with their worst poll rating uh, in 11 months. Can we put this down to the scandals that we've been hearing about in the past few days? Or is this, as Melanie says, also other things to do with, you know, like hospital waiting times and the rest? Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen that the ratings for Tories have gone down in the last few weeks. Particularly also in Paston, we saw a dip and they have seemed to come back again. I think the problem for Labour, though, is it's mostly that the Tory rating is going down rather than people are switching to Labour. And I think... Keir Starman now needs to set out what he wants to do and how he do things differently so that you don't just get people sitting on their hands and not going to vote at all. Yes. And in terms of the immediate, the, the nearest thing where that time where that will be tested, the North Shropshire by-election next week, is there going to be a shock twist there? Well, it's looking like the Liberal Democrats are going to do well in that, but... You know, we we quite enjoy by-elections. It's a bit of election drama that kind of spices up quite a month. But, I mean, we can't really usually read too much into polls. But I think for into by-election polls, but I think it's going to feed into that mood next week that it's going to be a tricky week for the Tories. You're going to have MPs spend the weekend in their constituencies, probably hearing from voters that they're quite annoyed about what's gone on in the last week. Mm. Then you're going to have that difficult vote on Tuesday on these regulations when we expect that there are going to be a big re- uh, revolt of Tory MPs. And then you're going to have this by-election. So I think Boris Johnson is going to be very keen to break up for Christmas and find some way to reset his government in the new year. What about resignations, John? Um, we've had Jack Doyle, the, the Prime Minister's Director of Communications, um, photographed in the papers, on the news websites and the rest. We had Alec Stratton go, Ed Oldfield being chased by a Sky News camera uh, yesterday, another uh, communications uh, advisor. Um, are more heads going to roll? Well, I think possibly. And I think the government needs to get on with this investigation that they've ordered from Simon Case. I think usually you set up that sort of probe if you want to take the immediate heat out of a row and then throw it into the long grass. I just think Downing Street just need to kill this story now. And how you do that is get back the results of this investigation and then work out, do you need some people to go? We know in general that Boris Johnson is quite reluctant to let his people go. But mm. I think in this case, he's going to be quite ruthless because he's clearly fighting to keep hold of control of the Tory party. Uh, Melanie, Melanie, do you think that helps with the, uh, with the public discussion about this and the public anger? Does that 
undercut some of the anger if people see this person or that person who was attending whatever party in Downing Street actually uh, it, go outside their house like Allegra Stratton did, um, full of tears and, and resign? Well, uh, she acted with honour. Um, it would be nice, it would be refreshing to see more people act with honour and do the same thing because, and it would... It would please the public. I think that it would draw a line under it to some extent um, because it would restore a, a certain bit of integrity. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, um, you know, the boss man isn't going to resign. So um, the minions can be sent out to resign. I think it would be healthy for, 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 for Downing Street to do that for themselves. And is there a sense as well, John, um, I don't want to necessarily draw you into anything, but... Um, in terms of people like Ed Oldfield, in terms of people like Jack Doyle, in terms of people like Allegra Stratton, um, in the case of this scandal, they could have done something wrong. That, that's one side of this. They could have, you know, attended a party or, been, you know, videoed laughing about a party. They've also, some of them have been involved in the communications around the fallout of it and have handled it badly. So not only are they involved in the actual mishap in the first place, they're then involved with the poor communications around it afterwards. They're surely heading for the door on those two counts, aren't they? Well, I think that's also why they're finding it so difficult to respond, because they're not talking about a minister in a different department. They're trying to work out a strategy which involves something that some of them have done themselves. I think that's quite hard. I think you do need to see a bit of a reset inside the Downing Street operation. You're hearing more and more from Tory MPs who feel stuff like this was completely unforced. There would have been a much better way to have dealt with it. You go back to Owen Paterson... And it was quite clear from the report that came out about him that he needed to go or be suspended at least. And Boris Johnson didn't do it. So I think there's been repeatedly mistake after mistake after mistake. And you start to question how good are these people advising Boris Johnson? And do you need kind of new talent coming into Downing Street to get things back on the right track? Let's move on to... It would help, help, wouldn't it, if they... um if they actually admitted that it was a party rather than sort of dancing around the dancing on a pinhead about it you know that 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 would clear the air too would it john well i think if they admit it's a party then they really are in trouble um obviously we'll see what simon case does but i think if it turns out it was a party people got invites saying come to this party i think then you're going to have to start seeing people who sent out the invites getting sacked and people who attended getting warnings or suspensions Let's um, move on to other parties. Um, in uh, Scotland, uh, people have been urged to cancel their Christmas parties because of, uh, of course, rising cases of the Omicron COVID variant. Public Health Scotland uh, saying that a number of outbreaks uh, of Omicron have been linked to Christmas parties uh, and steps, of course. Let's not forget that. Um, where are both of you with Christmas parties? Are you cancelling things? Are you slowly withdrawing uh, from, from sociable life as we draw clo- closer to Christmas, Melanie? Well, I, I feel a bit sorry for our, our, our local community pub, which needs all the help it can get. And like the rest of UK hospitality, isn't particularly happy at um, at this. But, you know, we're supposed to be having a, a sort of a worst Christmas jumper party on the uh, uh, on the 18th. And uh, I don't know whether it's going to be cancelled or not. But it's, it, you know, that that's going to, that argument, that, that debate is going to be taking place right across the country. Um, in Scotland, I think we're far more cautious. We've been at Plan B ever since August. We've never stopped wearing masks. We have vaccine passports. There hasn't been a, re- a revolution up here. Yeah, everyone's, you know, everyone's just got on with it. Um, we have worked from home wherever possible. 
So, I, I, you know, it's it's not that hard. It will be. I do. I do feel very much though for the hospitality industry. John, what about you? Are you um, are you strategically pulling out of, of of parties and gatherings and things like that, thinking save Christmas? Well, most of the ones I've been meaning to go to have actually been cancelled for me, so oh, not no. had a chance. I mean, Richard Sunak was meant to be having journalists into number eleven on Monday night, but quite understandably, <laughs> he's maybe thought that's not the, the best look in the circumstances. That would have Downing been Street tense. Planned, yeah, I think Downing Street actually penciled in a date for journalists drinks last week, but obviously thought, ooh, <laughs> I'm not sure this is um, ideal timing for that. But I think. Yeah, I mean, I had COVID a few weeks ago, so oh, I don't yeah. really have the fear of getting COVID at a party and then having it at Christmas. So I think if I hadn't have had COVID, then I think I would be thinking, mm. Mm, is it worth drinking this kind of not very nice wine with these people who are slightly annoying with the risk of then not being able to see my family? But because I have had COVID quite recently, I think, oh, it's not so much a risk, it's fine. You're bursting with antibodies. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Melanie, how much, uh, how helpful do you think it is? Is, is people's own behaviour in this? You, you talk about the situation in Scotland, where obviously there are vaccine passports and uh, and lots more mask wearing. There are some rule changes coming into effect in England today. But uh, how good do you think the public is at self-regulating of seeing what's happening in the headlines in terms of case numbers and worries about hospitalisations and actually altering their behaviour th- themselves? Well, the Scots are pretty good at it. They they um, they are much more cautious. Um, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon is going to be speaking this afternoon, in which she may she may order us to cancel all these things. But I think there's there's a much more. There's just a sense of kind of okay. Um, let let's be sensible about this. We seem to lack that um, that kind of rather that rather angry anti-authoritarianism, the anti-mask, anti-vaxxy thing, which which um, does rather does rather um, characterise parts of England. So, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, the psychology between the two countries. Just finally, um, John, tell us about your alpaca. This is Geronimo. This is an alpaca who um, tested positive for TB in two tests back in... 2017, and he was on death row ever since then with a battle going on. His owner is a lady called Helen MacDonald, who's in um, South Gloucestershire. She's gone through the court, she's had several appeals trying to stop the Department for Food and Rural Affairs from putting down the alpaca. She like, eventually lost that battle in August. She had the police turn up on her farm, forcibly take away this alpaca to be killed. But now they've done a series of post-mortem results and it actually turns out they can't find any traces of TB, which is quite embarrassing to the government. They can't find any traces of TB in Geronimo. Um, how furious is his owner, Helen, who was always popping up on, well, Times Radio and, and any airways? So I think she's really upset. I spoke to her briefly yesterday, and, I mean, I know it all seems like a bit of a funny story, and we all quite enjoyed it in August when... Certainly the first half of August, there wasn't much news around, but she is still quite upset about it, and she feels she's been wrong. So she's talking about the possibility of taking legal action against the government. I'm not sure this story's come to an end yet. John Stevens and Melanie Reid. I'm Luke Jones. This is the Times Redbox podcast. I'm almost home. Sorry for forgetting to do the podcast while I was in the office. Um, Up next, the election of 2019.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, it's time for this. There's only one way to get Brexit done in the face of this unrelenting parliamentary obstructionism. This endless, willful, fingers crossed, not me, gov refusal to deliver on the mandate of the people. And that is, Mr Speaker, to refresh this parliament and give the people a choice. Boris and I have a great friendship. We have a, we've become friends. Boris and I, when, when he was running, they were saying... He's the Trump, he's the Trump. You know, we have a lot of the same things going, I guess. But I think it was time for Boris. It was time. You needed him. Obviously very sad at the result we've achieved and very sad at those colleagues that um, lost their seats in the election and very sad for many people in this country who will now have a government that is uh, continuing policies of austerity and many of the poorest communities, I think, will suffer very badly. We did it! We pulled it off, didn't we? We pulled it off and in this glorious, glorious pre-breakfast moment before a new dawn rises on a new day and a new government, I want to congratulate absolutely everybody involved in securing the biggest Conservative majority since the 1980s. That was the situation uh, two years ago, the Conservatives winning the 2019 election, the December election. with a massive 80-seat majority. Uh, Boris Johnson there with his uh, Get Brexit Done agenda. At peak popularity, I guess you could say, at the time. All seems a long while ago now, uh, especially when you look at the front page of the Times this morning. Poll blow for Tories as trust in Johnson falls. Um, We're going to look back at what happened uh, around 2019 at that election and how it has changed uh, since as we loom, of course, closer and closer to yet another election. Uh, Live with us this morning, uh, battle-weary veterans of that 2019 fight. David Gork, uh, former Conservative Cabinet Minister, of course, who split from his party over Brexit and then stood in that election as an independent. David, welcome. 
Good morning. Uh, Richard Tice, chair of the uh, Brexit Party, now Reform Party, who in that election stood in Hartlepool. Welcome along. Good morning. Uh, Mary Cray is the former Labour MP for Wakefield in Yorkshire. She lost her seat in 2019. Mary, good to have you this morning. Good morning. I've also got Richard Holden, the Conservative MP for North West Durham, who upset the odds to beat Labour's uh, Laura Piddock, uh, of course, part of that crumbling red wall. Richard, welcome along. Good morning. Thank you all so much for being here uh, and for making time for us. Um, when we look back at 2019, um, I guess we sort of see it as being an especially uh, vicious election in the way it was campaigned, uh, quite a turning point as well in terms of the result. I wonder how you all see it uh, two years on. Um, David, if I could start with you. Well, I think it was a confirmation of a change in the nature of the Conservative Party. I think the Conservative Party became like much more like the Brexit party and that worked very well for it electorally uh, and I have to you know I have to say that I didn't like the strategy that was pursued I didn't think it was good for the country and that's still my view but clearly it delivered an overall majority um, I think that is bad for the country in the long term I think the Conservative Party is fundamentally transformed and not for the better uh, but uh, in you know it was significant because it was the transformation of the Conservative Party. The other thing I would say about that election was really how crucial Jeremy Corbyn was to that result. And I do think the British people were left with a pretty dreadful choice between Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson. And uh, in the end, they chose what they saw as the lesser of two evils. Richard, uh, w would you agree with that, having been the Brexit Party candidate in that election? Yeah, I mean, I agree with, uh, with David in one sense. Uh, it was an extraordinary election. And uh, the choice of Jeremy Corbyn for the nation was a terrible choice. Obviously, uh, in your panel today, three of us lost, you know, we lost our respective uh, seats. It was, a, it was a, a difficult, it was quite a vicious election. It was the first election I had fought in. Uh, but it was, a, it was a confirmation of what the people uh, wanted to happen when they voted in 2016. Um, bizarre, though, actually, because... Two years ago, when I campaigned in Hartlepool, within six or seven doors, I knew that Jeremy Corbyn was a massive problem for the Labour Party. Lifelong Labour voters saying they'd never vote again whilst Corbyn was in charge. Two years later, I've just finished a by-election campaign in Bexley, south-east London, mm. and you've got the complete reverse, where I've now got lifelong Tory voters saying they'll never vote Tory again whilst Boris Johnson is leading. So it is an extraordinary period in politics... Uh, and that was a, it was a momentous election back in 2019. Uh, and Mary Cray, what about you? I, I think two days before polling day, I was in, I was in your constituency talking to people, going into various pubs and things. And I don't know if you felt the same, but there was, there was fury that there were some really, really angry people about what you and, and what your party was doing, especially in terms of Brexit. How, how do you reflect on that now? Well, I think um, the election was basically a rupture in the kind of um, post-war consensus, um, the kind of moderate wings of both parties, if you like. And, and David perhaps represents the moderate wing of the Conservative Party, me, the moderate wing of the, of the Labour Party. Um, saw that, um, you know, our type of politics, our values um, were, were roundly rejected in favour of a, a very quick and easy slogan, get Brexit done, which subsequently proved to be much harder and much more difficult. And we're still getting Brexit done. The Prime Minister seems surprised um, that Articles is talking about triggering Article 16 and mm. didn't know what the Northern Ireland Protocol entailed. So 
Brexit will never be done. But I think it was the breakdown of that um, that sort of post-war consensus. And I think uh, it's interesting that, you know, Richard's, uh, Tice's comments about, um, you know, on the doorsteps of Bexley. Jeremy Corbyn was initially elected by... Um, to, to be the leader by uh, the, the Labour Party, a, a strand of the Labour left. And, and he did well, to everybody's surprise, in the 2017 election. But the wheels had come off the Corbyn bus by 2019. I think Johnson is following the same trajectory. In, you know, he could reach the, the parts of Britain that other Conservative parties couldn't reach, Bassett Law, Bolsover, Bolton. And yet now here he is um, leading a government that is uh, dogged by scandal and mired in sleaze. But, but Mary, just stay in 2019 for us, if you would, and December 2019. Just give us a sense of, of what it was like for you door knocking at, at that time. I was talking to lifelong Labour voters, people on council estates who were saying to me, we will not vote Labour as long as uh, Corbyn is in charge. There was a huge push on social media um, from veterans who felt that Jeremy's position on security was inimical to to the country's safety, the whole uh, Skripal scandal and uh, the, you know, asking if we could send a sample to the Russians to see if they provide the chemical weapon or not. I mean, this kind of ludicrous position that we found ourselves in as a party, and I hope the Labour Party never finds itself in that position again, a country that cannot be trusted, Mm. where voters feel they cannot trust um, the Labour Party with uh, their security and with the economy. And I think the whole Brexit thing, let's not forget we'd had uh, by 2016, six years of austerity, cuts to schools, cuts to hospitals, massive cuts to local government, cuts that Mrs Thatcher would have only dreamed of, a 25% cut to local government. And people were told this was the fault of immigrants. They were told that the country was full. We couldn't, there was no more money for schools, no more money for hospitals. And the Conservatives really have failed, I think, to fix the roof while the sun was shining. And guess what? Brexit has not increased the number of school places, it has not fixed our hospitals, and it has not fixed uh, the state of local government either. Uh, Richard Holden, you, you, were, you were a beneficiary uh, in many ways in terms of what happened in 2019. You're, you're now the, the MP for, for North West Durham. You won it then. Um, tell us about your experience. Uh, as you got closer to polling day, knocking on the door, were you hearing similar things in terms of um, frustrations with, with Jeremy Corbyn? Uh, yeah, I, I, I was. Um, I was definitely hearing that. I was also hearing issues around Brexit and a, a feel of sort of uh, a uh, the, the Labour Party and weren't respecting the democratic view of the people. I mean, mine wasn't the most Brexity area of the country either. Mm. I voted by 45. Um, but I think there was actually something more underlying um, for Labour, which I, I don't think they've uh, even now recognised, which is that I think for a very, very long time, a lot of these areas had been uh, perhaps um, moving away or voting Labour more increasingly reluctantly because Labour doesn't reflect uh, their values. Um, and I think you and I don't think that's changed under the more recent leadership of Keir Starmer. I think it looks like a, a very London centric party, which doesn't really reflect the, you know, the views of people in constituencies. Um, like mine in Northwestern or concert uh, where I'm sitting at the moment. Um, and I think that's a, that's a broader issue that the Labour Party, it's quite easy to pin it on the Brexit referendum for them. It's quite easy to pin it all on Corbyn, even though we know in 17 he'd, uh, he'd done all right. You know, but I think there's a much bigger long-term issue for Labour, 
in that broader realignment of politics, which I don't think they um, yet understand. You know, we're looking back on the 2019 general election and uh, the, the long shadow it now casts on our politics now. Uh, we've got David Gork, Richard Tice, Mary Cray and uh, Richard Holden. Um, uh, David Gork and, and Mary Cray, I want to come to you both in a moment in terms of uh, what you think about how your parties have moved away from the, the position that was cemented in, in 2019. But Richard Tice, first of all, um, lots of discussion there about uh, Brexit and the role that that obviously played in the 2019 general election. Uh, do you feel that as an issue and maybe looking at your own sort of recent performances in, in, in by-elections and the rest... Has Brexit as an issue slipped off the agenda in the past two years? I think the first thing to say about the 19 election was there was a huge fatigue uh, with, with Brexit, with, uh, with politics, with the division, with the angst. And in a sense, I guess that was, that's what the slogan was. It was, a, oh, get Brexit done. And, you know, that was, that was definitely uh, where I think a lot of people were and just get this behind us and, and try and move forward. And then, of course, you know, COVID thumped the nation and the world so quickly afterwards. Um, and in a sense, trade relations with, uh, between two countries or between a trading bloc like the EU and the UK, they're never static. They're always evolving. Uh, and, and in a sense, ours with the EU will continue to evolve. And there are things that are far from perfect, as, as we all know. And we said at the time, in terms of Northern Ireland and fishing as such. Um, but I think that actually, in a sense, uh, COVID and how we recover from that and the challenges facing the government and the challenges facing the Prime Minister, frankly, uh, now um, uh, far outweigh uh, the issues of Brexit. They, they really do. And, you know, we've got a state now where we've got a nation with the highest taxes for 70 years, the lowest growth forecast for 60 years. Mm-hmm. And I coined a new word called consocialism, which is actually where I think, I think it's at. And bizarrely, uh, although Boris sort of may have been seen to be leading a party that might have shifted a bit more to the right, I actually think it's gone towards the left, where it's now... It's not far from the Labour Party. It's the party of high tax and high regulation and nanny state. And who'd have thought it? Well, on that point, I mean, David Gork, I'm not sure you necessarily characterise it with those words that Richard Tice used. But, but looking at how the party has transformed in, in the past two years under Boris Johnson, I mean, scandals in, in the papers uh, that we can see in front of us at the moment aside, um, has the party drifted back to being more something which on policy it is a David Gork party? No, I don't think it has. Uh, I think what... What's happened is that it's, if you'd like, it's moved to the right on cultural issues, so on Brexit and on immigration and the war on the woke and what have you. Actually, I agree quite to some extent with, with, with Richard Tice in terms of... Economic. Someone write that down. Clip that <laughs> yeah, up. I mean, Save it. Shocking exclusive. <laughs> but uh, I think he's right in terms of economically, it's a less fiscally conservative government than the ones I was uh, part of. Um, they are... They are raising taxes. My own view was that spending was going to have to increase and taxes were going to have to increase in any event. But they have you know, they've done this in quite a business unfriendly way. They've gone for corporation tax rates. Um, I don't think there's been a focus on spending money wisely as, as, as perhaps there should have been. So I think it has evolved further in the direction to some extent of a sort of English nationalist party uh, and you know that it reflects i think the changing alignment of british politics i think they're going where quite a lot of their voters are um where i think it leaves a bit of a gap in the market is is for mm. sort of you know moderate internationalist minded pro business voters and I don't think there's particularly an option for, for voters of that sort. But, well, let's get Richard Holden's reaction to that as, as being a, a current uh, sitting Conservative MP. Is that right, what David was saying there, Richard, in terms of the Tories turning into more of an English nationalist party? 
No, I mean, well, it's demonstrably untrue from the 2019 election result where we did really well in Wales, for example. And it's also demonstrably untrue from the local elections that happened um, last uh, earlier this year, uh, too, where, you know, and we're, we're picking up seats all over the shop. Um, uh, and I, I, I sort of um, want to challenge a little bit of what's been said. I think we have faced over the last two years, uh, not just us, but, you know, around the world, this unprecedented global pandemic. And we had two choices then. One of them was to support jobs in the economy, uh, which we were able to do because we'd taken some really difficult decisions uh, after Labour crashed the economy back in the uh, late 2000s. Um, or, or we could have um, or not supported the economy. Uh, and um, I think the supporting people in jobs was exactly the right thing to do. You know, furlough scheme, uh, grants to local businesses, uh, which is why we've seen you know, more people in employment today than we had before. But we have to have, that has to be allied to fiscal responsibility in the long term. And, um, and that means, you know, not living beyond our means, not borrowing for day-to-day spending, mm. um, uh, taxing to, um, taxing to enable to deliver the public services we want and to also pay down uh, the debt we've accrued through the pandemic. Uh, Mary Craig, what about, uh, well, I guess the same question for you that I asked David Gork, but, but with regards to, to the Labour Party. Since 2019, if you take a snapshot of the party then, uh, has it now, at time of speaking, moved more into a party that, that you could be uh, f- fully a part of again? Without a doubt, um, the front bench now looks like a government in waiting. Let's not forget that Keir Starmer was still not the leader of the party. He hadn't actually been formally elected mm. when the um, country went into lockdown. And I, I disagree with Richard Tice. I think that this Conservative government had no choice but to do what they did in the face of a global pandemic. It's not socialism. Uh, in the same way as... Um, the last Labour government had no choice but to prop up the the banking uh, sector in the face of the global financial crash in the risk of contagion of uh, the banks falling over and people losing their life savings. So, you know, both governments have faced huge issues. There is no doubt with the recent reshuffle that Keir Starmer has promoted some of the best communicators, some of the deepest thinkers in the party, uh, people like Bridget Phillipson, uh, Wes Streeting, Peter Kyle, uh, Yvette Cooper, all now back on the front bench. And I think um, he is he is now uh, getting into his stride as, as a leader. We saw that at, at PMQs yesterday, hammering uh, the, the Prime Minister on whether it's week after week, with COVID contracts for cronies, the ability, you know, his attempt to try and get uh, Owen Patterson off the hook. Uh, and today we hear there's uh, issues now with uh, potentially the Prime Minister lying to his own standards advisor. Uh, the, 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 you know, the character of the Prime Minister sets the character for the government. And I think when people go to the polls next time round, whether that's 23, 24, whether Boris Johnson is in charge, they will look at the character of who is in charge. And there is no doubt that Keir Starmer, with his record as um, chief prosecutor at the the Crown Prosecution Service, strikes a very, very different type, is a very different type of man to Boris Johnson. I'm wondering how much you all think that what happened in 2019 um, was a uh, a sort of concrete realignment in British politics and how much it was a a one-off, a, you know, the Brexit issue came in and people voted in ways they wouldn't really do normally. And then when we come back to, you know, 2023, 2024, things actually 
actually might revert back to a more sort of 2015-2017 shaped uh, electorate. Uh, Richard Tice, what's your your view on this? Did things in 2019 actually fundamentally set things on a different course, which will continue? Well, it clearly changed the course of the, the history of the country and the mm. future of the country. But I think also for, for individuals, many people, for the first time in their lives, they lent their vote to a different party. And... I think they found that, uh, you know, they found that some people found it difficult, some people found it easy, but that in itself is a real thing because the moment you start lending your votes around, uh, then you realise actually you've got more power to change things. Um, and so people may, may may leave it where they lent it to or they might take it back or they might lend it somewhere else. And that, I think, is 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 a sort of really significant thing across the country that people shouldn't underestimate. Whoever's leading whichever parties into the next election, I think the electorate is is more mobile mm. in where it places its vote, including, let's not forget, the many young people who, who didn't vote in 2019 who will, of course, be, be voting at the next general mm. election. David Gork, what's your view on this? How, how fluid an electorate do you think we now have because of 2019? I, I think 2019 accelerated a process that was going on for some years, and I agree with Richard Holden's point. And, you know, places like northwest Durham, um, you know, this had been building up. I think we're we're switching from the politics of economics and class, if you like, much more towards the politics of of culture and education and so on. And that, I think, in the short term, benefits the conservatives against a more divided opposition. In the long term, as a country, as we become perhaps more socially liberal. Uh, better educated and so on. I think the Conservatives might find themselves on the wrong side of some really important arguments. And Richard Holder, what do you think about this? And I guess throwing into the mix with that, uh, Boris Johnson's own leadership. You were somebody uh, who benefited from Boris Johnson's uh, winning power, as people always refer to it as. Lots of people, uh, some commentators suggest, lent their vote to him in 2019 because they thought he could get Brexit done. Do you think that that could be undone in 2023, 2024, whenever it happens next? Uh, <clears throat> quite a few questions there. Um, Sorry, yeah, quite a few. Um, and I think, Go back to the, um, is this a broader realignment? Yeah. You only need to look that uh, I think Richard stood in in 2019 and came third in, which was Hartlepool, which the Conservatives now hold after the by-election uh, there. So you can see that there is uh, still potential movement. I'd say that looking around the uh, looking around County Durham and other parts of the northeast and northwest, that there is um, perhaps even further progress to be made there for the Conservatives. But that's going to be very much based on, and I actually think the Prime Minister made the point, and he came to Sedgefield and I was there the day after the election. And that was that, you know, people, um, I think, did, uh, he- you know, hesitate. This was the sort of, um, you know, are we really doing the right thing? We're possibly breaking with generations of voting here. Um, and people did, uh, in some parts, lend their votes to Conservatives, um, you know, give, give us a try. And I think a lot of it's going to be around delivery, um, combination of things, delivery from the government, um, which I think has been, you know, we, we have done Brexit stuff, which has been uh, which has been good and repay some of that trust. I think um, also stepping up during the, fina- uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic has been um, widely acknowledged as well. Um, but I think also on an individual MP by MP basis, I think uh, a lot of parts of the country had seen, uh, and I wouldn't say Mary was one of these people at all, actually, um, but had seen uh, in a degree um, uh, absentee Labour MPs um, in some parts of the country, um, and they're now seeing very, very active local Conservative MPs uh, campaigning on the doorstep in a different way mm. to 
think that they've been used to politics in what had been regarded. You know, seats like mine and Sedgefield, you know, held with massive Labour majorities in the 80s and 90s um, and, and, and no longer. And I think they're so I think there'll be def- there'll be lots of different things that play into that. But I think they'll want to see the local MPs delivering and also the government delivering for the country in order for them to um, to, to give us their votes again. Uh, Mary Craig, just very briefly, um, in terms of looking ahead, uh, it's Keir Starmer uh, talking to the Telegraph today about, well, all, we're all talking about in terms of um, uh, Downing Street parties and the rest, said, quote, I'm confident we're going to win the next general election, whether that's in 2023 or 2024. Uh, the way things are going, is he right? The polls are certainly moving in Labour's direction. There's no grounds for complacency. And I think they've been, you know, moving against parties of the left across Europe uh, since since the financial crash. The question is, is the pendulum swinging back? That very much depends on whether it's Boris Johnson who is leading the Conservatives, in which case Labour, I'm sure, will be looking at his record on uh, breaking the pensions triple locks, introducing a new social care tax, failing to deliver the £15 billion education catch-up plan, or whether it's a fresh face. Um, and the Conservative Party have a, a reputation for ruthlessness when it comes to replacing leaders that are no longer an electoral advantage mm. to them. So I don't think we'll be fighting the next election yeah. against Johnson after the, the last couple of weeks. But I don't think... Uh, so I think there's no room for complacency in the Labour Party. But I hope that the process of reform that is going on under Keir, and which is making really big inroads in terms of winning back people's trust in those seats that we lost means that we will see the pendulum swinging back our way. Good to talk to you all. Thank you so much for your time this morning, taking us uh, right back from 2019 all the way to the present day. Mary Cray, Richard Tice and David Gork. Um, Richard Holden, the current Conservative MP for North West Durham, I just wonder while we've got you as a, a sort of interesting 29 intake person, I should ask you briefly about the situation which is concerning us all today, about the Prime Minister and his leadership. Do you worry that, that the Prime Minister lied to his uh, ministerial standards adviser over um, what he knew about who was playing, paying for the flat refurb in number 11? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, I, I don't worry about that. I'm sure the prime minister was 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 clear with them. Um, uh, I do think that there are that we are uh, at the moment getting uh, diving into uh, issues which you know my constituents are really concerned about jobs, the economy, getting the NHS waiting list down. That's why I voted for more money for the NHS not that long ago. Um, that's what I want to be concentrating on. I think that's what my constituents want to be concentrating on uh, and delivering those things such as, you know, and that broader levelling up uh, for the, which, you know, I was elected on in 2019 and that's what I want to see delivered. That's what I'm doing here, fighting on the ground in Northwest Germany, fighting to deliver. And, uh, you know, and that's what I want to be concentrating on. You mentioned all those other issues. What what about COVID? Are you going to be one of these uh, potentially more than 50 Tory MPs who's going to vote against the the plans for for Plan B in England? Well, what what, um, concerned me is I don't want to see any form of mandatory uh, vaccination. I don't think that'd be right. So I'm glad that the government's listened to uh, backbenchers and said that you can either have a vaccine or a lateral flow test. So mm. that's been a that's been a really important change for me from what had previously been suggested. So you are going to vote for uh, on Tuesday. So at the moment, that's uh, that's where I am. But I will continue to have discussions because I one of the biggest things. I've just been to a primary school in my constituency. Um, some of those kids who were out of school for a couple of years, I've just employed a new researcher in my parliamentary office, you know, who needs to have that uh, somebody with him one on one, you know, to enable him to really get that uh, get that knowledge. And, uh, you know, in order yeah. to do the job really well. And I don't want to see more restrictions. 
What I'm hopeful for, and I think the entire country is hopeful for, is that this is a cautious approach, um, which we can, you know, fingers crossed the Omicron variant isn't as bad as we'd all feared, and then we can look at these restrictions again in early January. Um, so uh, as long as it's a temporary and cautious measure, uh, it will be supporting the government. Right, I'm basically almost home now. Uh, thank you very much for downloading. I've been Luke Jones, sitting in for Matt all this week. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at LukeJones03, if you are so interested. Um, Matt will be back on Monday, so make sure you subscribe so you can get him up your podcast app when he returns. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.